0: not I haven't met them personally but Mm -hmm. I'm seeing the stories start to circulate and people are realizing oh this can be done Mm -hmm. Um, it wasn't just me who grabbed this opportunity Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I might be the only one who's doing it as a like primarily with younger kids Mm -hmm. Uh, the people I've seen who do it I've seen two stories at this point I don't know their names offhand of people who play D&D professionally and they mostly run it for adults Mm -hmm. and they run like one-offs where it's like people get together once and they play and they go but they get enough interest and enough business that that keeps them afloat um, one of them was saying he gets, uh, on average, between because he charges a certain hourly rate, which he didn't disclose on the story, uh, and on average, he makes about $500 per session.
1: Welcome back to Sustaining Craft. I'm Elizabeth Silverstein, and this is the podcast all about the stories of those making part or all their income from their art, passion, or craft. I have with me today, welcome back, Joshua Kurtz.
0: Hello. Thank you for having me.
1: Thanks for coming back again. Yeah. So this is uh, a little unusual, because the first time Mm -hmm. we chatted, um, you're actually the reason the whole podcast started in the first place. Flattering. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's true. And a year, about a year and a half ago, we were... At your place mm-hmm. in southern New Jersey.
0: Recording on a couch with a single uh, kind of cheap uh, Amazon microphone.
1: Yeah, yeah it was just very... And we were, we were just listening to the... That original episode before starting this Mm -hmm. one, just to kind of see what was going on. And it was different music, it was different production quality.
0: Different music is the nicest way that she possibly could have put that. (laughs) Uh.
1: Well, so Joshua actually um, did that original music before Jim Chiago put it together. But Jim Jim is actually like a musician. You're not a musician. Yes. (laughs) Uh,
0: I am a musician like... I couldn't think of a good way to finish the analogy. I'm not a musician.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you, Josh? Well, tell the people. Um,
0: I'm a dungeon master. I run games of Dungeons and & Dragons and sometimes other tabletops, but mostly mm-hmm. D&D, uh, for children and adults, uh, people of all ages, really. And uh, that's how I make my living. I, mm-hmm. I run games for people.
1: Awesome. And then you don't do this as much... At the moment, but you also have a theater company. I do.
0: I have Aftershock Entertainment. That's my theater company. Uh, Mm -hmm. We're actually, we haven't done something in a few months, but that's because I'm kind of trying to build the ranks a little bit. I'm actually Mm -hmm. in a show right now that is not involved with Aftershock, just trying to like meet new people and kind Mm -hmm. of extend the the reach of who I know a little bit.
1: Mm -hmm. And so we did mention you're not a musician, but you have written songs. So with Aftershock, you've done... Some musicals. Mm-hmm. You've written plays and everything, and you actually started your, your writing that when you were pretty young. You did your first production. Yes, in high school. You wrote your first first musical when you were in high school. Mm-hmm. What you were seventeen.
0: Yes, okay. seventeen. I was senior year of high school. I started writing it as a joke, and then uh, asked yeah. I- <laughs> what. It was. I
1: mean, it was just the I was just I was going it was going to be funny and then it, it became something bigger. Yeah,
0: it was going to be funny. Uh it was like a little inside joke between me and a few friends something else we were creating like what if this were a musical. Mm-hmm. And then uh my mom's like, "Oh, you should ask, you should ask the drama teacher if you can put it on there." And I did and she said, "Yes," which is not what I was expecting her to say.
1: <laughs> what were you expecting her to say?
0: Uh say like, "Oh, well, that's fun. Maybe like for as like a side thing for like a talent show or something." Right. I was expecting sort of like supportive but let me down easy kind of a thing and Mm -hmm. she was very like yeah okay I don't see why not (laughs) and I was like okay
1: well that's a good example too of of something where just Ask. Just try. And sometimes the answer is no. I mean, most of the time the answer is no. But sometimes it's not. But
0: the fun thing is, if the answer is no, then it's the exact same thing as if you hadn't asked at all. So you're not losing anything from doing
1: that. It's just the only thing that happens is we don't feel good about it, right? It's rejection. Rejection Mm -hmm. doesn't feel good. But the more you're putting yourself out there and trying, the more those unexpected opportunities pop up. Yeah. You know as well
0: absolutely if you can get over that like well all it is is them saying no it's not personal then right. you're you're fine
1: right because if you think of so we have to as creatives we still have to think about what we're doing as a business right and when you're in the business world you're making certain decisions because it benefits your what you're doing in some way yes and saying no benefits someone in some way mm-hmm. very often you know and it it's not personal it's just that wasn't going to make someone money, or it wasn't a good fit, or, you know, you have to adjust things a little bit, so there's many reasons why someone might say no, but we also have to stop as people saying it's because of me personally, if they're saying no, Mm -hmm. so that's a big thing. Yeah. Um, So, the last time we talked, Mm -hmm. uh, there was a lot going on. Um, I know the podcast is a, is a, a, uh, an audio format, but we are doing video now. So one of the big changes, (laughs) one of the big changes is that you personally have made some, some changes the last time we talked. So what was, what was that for you? What was going on? What was that, that big journey for you recently? It's
0: been, it's been a lot. Um, In the last year and a half, a lot has happened. So when I think we just uh, kind of rehashed some of the last podcast we did Mm -hmm. to kind of refresh ourselves, which was really helpful. Mm -hmm. Because I was running uh, a D&D game consistently weekly just for my friends, Mm -hmm. which I can no longer do because I don't have the time, because I think I had five five groups back then, maybe six, and now I have nine groups of D&D that I run on a mostly weekly basis for a total of 42 students, and that's absolutely absurd to me. The students range in age from 7, I think, to 20, 21. So you almost um,
1: doubled what yes. you were doing from in the year and a half that we yeah. talked, which is um, pretty pretty impressive.
0: And you right? asked a question last time uh, saying that this was the majority of my income, and it was. I was mm-hmm. making more from D&D than anything else. Starting It's December now when we're filming this. Starting in January, uh, it will be the entirety of my income.
1: So when we talked last time, you were still working three or four jobs I think you were, probably yes you were working at the comic store mm-hmm. you were um, right now you're still doing Choppers the, yes the, axe that's house the last where one where we met I'm holding on to that's the last job you currently have mm-hmm. and then in January you'll be full time uh, Dungeon Master
0: yes basically. Uh, the only thing I'm still keeping is I run sound for the kids shows at the Ritz but that's like mm-hmm. once a month sometimes it's okay. like a little side gig what's the Ritz um, the Ritz Theater is just a theater I've done work at before. Mm-hmm. It's actually where I did, I taught the acting class that kind of kick-started my D&D career. Mm-hmm. So um, I'm still friends with them, I'm still close with them, mm-hmm. but that's just a little, it's a little fantasy because it's fun.
1: And if you didn't hear the last episode we did with Josh, um, that so you did an acting class there... The parents reached out to you and said, "Hey, do you do childcare? Mm-hmm. Do you want to watch our children?" I said, "No, no, thank you." And and then uh, they
0: kind of they kind of pushed and explained mm-hmm. a bit further, saying that they weren't really looking for like a childcare professional. They were just looking for someone to be with their kids for a bit to give them a break from the norm and uh, maybe do some like improv kind of stuff. And that sort of evolved into Dungeons and Dragons.
1: Mm-hmm. And now and that. That when did that happen about?
0: That was I uh, actually had reason to look this up recently. That was I believe June of
1: 2017.
0: Okay. Is that right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> I can't I can't tell you. Yeah. Okay. June 2017.
0: So or the summer, well, say summer of 2017. Okay. That I'm sure is right.
1: And there was a little throwaway line in the last thing that we did where we were filming in your parents' basement. Yes. <laughs> so um, you were living with your parents at the time. Yes. And now you're not.
0: No, uh, as of, what day is today, oh, less than a week ago, mm-hmm. uh, I moved out. Uh, my sister and I both moved out of my parents' house and we now have a, a we're renting our own place. It's our own mm-hmm. house. Um, not very far away. It's about 15 minutes from our old place, but it's, it's ours. Mm-hmm. Uh, I already have the dungeon established. I have the hundreds dungeon. of miniatures set up on yeah. shelves down there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of our, our gaming room, gaming area. Um, it was one of the prerequisites we needed for finding a place because it is such a big part of my life. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, so that's that was huge. And it's not only doing that, but then knowing that I can financially support myself, again, only with Dungeons & Dragons, and now paying about $1,000 more per month between rent and food and everything like that.
1: Mm-hmm. So we touched on kind of the big changes. You doubled your students. Mm-hmm. You're going to go to full-time in January. Yep. You're not in the basement anymore. So <laughs> that's big. One of the last, uh, one of the big changes we, you know, from the previous episode to now is you talked about, you're like, no one else is doing this. Yes. And so as you've developed this business, have you found more people that are?
0: I have. Not, I haven't met them personally, but Mm -hmm. I'm seeing the stories start to circulate and people are realizing, oh, this can be done. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't just me who grabbed this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think I might be the only one who's doing it. As a, like, primarily with younger kids. uh, Mm -hmm. The people I've seen who do it, I've seen two stories at this point, I don't know their names offhand, of people who play DD professionally, and they mostly run it for adults. Mm -hmm. And they run, like, one offs, where it's like people get together once and they play and they go, but they get enough interest and enough business that that keeps them afloat. Um, One of them was saying he gets, uh, on average, between, because he charges a certain hourly rate, which he didn't disclose on the story. Uh, And on average, he makes about $500 per session, which is wild to me. Mm -hmm. And the other one was, I think, made about, it was was something else that was kind of in the higher end. Mm -hmm. Um, And I kind of realized at that point, huh, I'm a very niche market. This is a very niche market. I'm not charging enough for my services. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's hard because I'm asking people to come back over and over and over again. And right. I'm asking uh, an audience and it's mostly kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did wind up raising my rates, which got very little resistance. Uh, everyone was very supportive, especially when I said, why? I'm like, hey, I'm trying to like live off of this. And all the parents are like, yeah, you go. And uh, there's, a few, there's a few groups that kind of uh, couldn't quite uh, handle that. But because they were my starting groups, I'm always make things work I'd, I'd rather be a little flexible with that as long as we can kind of keep things moving and i'm i'm making enough so yeah, yeah. yeah. that was a really cool change for me is being able to say i'm worth more than that
1: mm-hmm. and i think that's part of the development of being a business anyways of like all right i'm starting here i'm realizing the value of what i have to offer people are paying me so mm-hmm. what can i how can i grow because it in storytelling and business and everything in life in general there's a natural escalation you have to grow you have to escalate yeah. that doesn't mean you have to ch- charge exorbitant amount of, no. of money you know of fees or, or anything but there's always going to be this growth and with that is maybe changing prices maybe doing things a little bit differently You're mm-hmm. learning your lessons so yeah it's all part of the process it's a good, good thing to do cool um, Cool.
0: it is cool, cool. I feel yeah. cool about sure. it
1: <laughs> Um so we had discussed uh last time some of your personal goals. So mm-hmm. some of those were you wanted to move away from move far, far away. I'm getting there. I'm getting <laughs> <steps>. <laughs> you wanted to train others and you wanted to focus on D and D full time. Yes. Moving away sounded more of uh like a long term goal. That's maybe, definitely long term. Maybe yeah. in the future, you know, five, whenever, ten, five, twenty 10, years. Twenty years. Okay. And then so where are you with uh, training others, and we, and you've already done, you're in January, It's D&D is full-time, so that mm-hmm. goal has come true, training others. With so
0: uh, I did, I've done one gig with another Dungeon Master. Mm-hmm. This is not someone I trained, this is not mm-hmm. someone I like, brought into the fold, it's a friend of mine who I knew and trusted as a Dungeon Master, and I brought mm-hmm. him in, and that was for a 12-person birthday party. Okay. I'm like, I can't do 12 people on my own, it's not going to happen. So I brought him in, uh, I paid him, and afterwards, I said, so yeah, how would you feel about doing the kind of thing in the future? And he went, kids are exhausting. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of took a step back from that. It's not really his, his thing anymore, um, which I totally understand.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so I haven't found anyone to start training yet, but I've kind of broken it down into a process. I, I make a joke about this, but it is true. I have like a seven-step process, like a path from my be- the beginning of my Dungeons & Dungeons Dragons career to the end of it. And step one was playing Dungeons & Dragons, which I had when I was 10. And step two was the first time I ever got paid to play Dungeons & Dragons about two and a half years ago. And step three is where we were at last time we talked, which was um, getting most of my income, more of my income from D&D than anything else. Mm -hmm. As of January, I'm hitting step four, which is all of my income. Mm -hmm. And from here, so now I run nine groups, and that's making me enough to get by. It's not making me enough to train someone else yet. Uh, it's make, especially with living on my own, I'm not going to be able to keep putting into the savings. I'm going to have to be very careful with how I spend. Uh, I'm trying to advertise for D&D and get more going on, but I'm going to need a little bit more before I can actually start really expanding my business. That said, once I do get a 10th or 11th group, that's kind of when I have to get on to the uh, step five, which is pay someone to play Dungeons and Dragons for me, um, which obviously isn't what it is, but it's what it, it's funny and it's sounds like that it is mm-hmm. it is kind of there's a truth to it I'm paying someone else to go and play Dungeons and Dragons right. um, and step six so I think I'm probably I would say three to six months from that from step five mm-hmm. uh, I would say I can probably get another group or two started in the next few months as long as no groups drop out which is something I'm still cognizant that's going to happen no group's going to stay going forever no group's going to stay on for 10, 20 maybe 10, 20 years but no longer than that um, but once <laughs>
1: Just 20 years, yeah. Just 20 years, no, <laughs> no big
0: deal. Um, some of these kids really loved <laughs>
1: um
0: I figure the hard cutoff for a lot of them will be going to
1: college. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, you know, some of these kids are like eight. So, mm-hmm. anyway, I'm getting sidetracked.
1: You got at least 10 years, though. At least
0: 10 yeah. years for some of these groups. So, uh, but once I get a few more groups and I can afford this, it would be um, step five. And then step six, which I think is probably more than a year or two down the line, would be paying enough people to play Dungeons and Dragons that that's where more of my income is coming from. I make more from the groups that they're running than the groups that, <laughs> excuse me. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: than the groups uh, that I am personally writing she's taking notes about this yeah. good burp I did
1: no I just I had a thought popping in my head so I was like will <laughs> that i write that out nothing to do with the burp it was um, very coincidental
0: and then once that's happening the logical seventh step again is that all my money is coming from that and I can play D&D for fun again mm-hmm. um yeah. I mentioned one of the things I mentioned the last time we talked. Uh, I keep saying last time we talked. We've talked plenty.
1: We've only talked <laughs> that one time a year and a half ago and then again today. There's no other there was, reason. We didn't even
0: tell. Like I walked no. into the studio and you were like, hey, do you want to film? I guess.
1: And you like flew from New Jersey. Yes, yes. Just for this podcast mm-hmm. and, and the yeah. YouTube video. Yeah. Anyway, the last time we recorded <laughs> a podcast.
0: Um, one of the things I mentioned was that... I totally lost it. (laughs) I lost it in the joke.
1: Um, (laughs) Hard commit. Well, Well, and that's a good point too to say. So right now we're in Little Rock, Arkansas. Joshua is based in Southern New Jersey. Yes, but you do offer Skype sessions.
0: Yes, um, they're not they're not my ideal. Mm -hmm. Um, A lot of what I bring to the table is the personal experience of Dungeons and Dragons, and it's getting away from the computers and the Mm -hmm. screens. But for people who are looking for that experience and don't have another option, I'm happy to provide that. Yes. Mm Um, I'm still trying to find where I was trailing off to about oh playing so playing D&D for fun so I had a group a weekly group which I had to stop Mm -hmm. uh, running because both in time and money I couldn't afford to keep doing it running D&D is a lot of work uh, and as much as I love it I do I couldn't keep doing that for no charge considering what I would be making for a group of that size even I do a discount for adults because it's easier than uh, with kids because kids you have to do a lot more kind of like almost babysitting with some groups well
1: you have to wrangle them back in right yes. it's like all right high energy lots mm-hmm. of excitement they're gonna go off on poop jokes probably you know yep. so you have to pull them back in so
0: yeah. i charge less for adults and but even with that with the size of the group i was running on monday mm-hmm. i should have been making about a hundred dollars per night and mm-hmm. i wasn't right. and i didn't want to these are my friends i didn't want to charge mm-hmm. them for it um so we had to stop doing that and i mentioned last time there were some groups of my kids that i had more fun with than my adult groups. And that's true, I still have kid groups who I have a lot of fun with, really just enjoy playing with, but there's always now this level of this is work. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's something that when I'm doing this as much as I am, even if I'm enjoying the work, there's still times I'm like, oh, okay, this, this group took off or I get to go on a vacation. That's nice. It's relaxing mm-hmm. now. Whereas before it would be like, ah, when our group's canceled, like, ah, I don't get to play today. Mm-hmm. It is, it's still something I enjoy, but it is also something that is very much work now. It is something mm-hmm. I do have to sit down and dedicate myself to. So when I get a chance to try something new and play a different non-D&D game with a group of people just for fun, it really is very refreshing, even though I still love D&D for what it is.
1: So let's, let's talk about the work aspect for a moment. Sure. Um, because you're, you're pouring a lot into it. When I did that, I kind of shadowed Monster of the Week and there was the D&D mm-hmm. session. Um, you have to, what do you have to do? So I know you have to create the world. You have to set up kind of storylines. So
0: the amount of work I have to do varies from group to group okay. depending on how long they have been playing and how much of it they do themselves. Mm-hmm. For instance, some groups get really into it. And they'll take their character sheets home and they'll read through the books. And so whenever I say, all right, guys, your characters level up. Some groups know what that means and they just do it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So what does that mean? Leveling up is when your character gets stronger, mm-hmm. uh, they've grown from their journeys and there's a process in the book that will tell you oh, that when this character reaches this level you get this new ability and they get this many more hit points and they get this sure. kind the of new stuff. So the book is
1: like the Dungeons and Dragons? The,
0: yes. Dragons. There's many Dungeons and Dragons okay. books but uh, this one is the player's handbook. It's the one mm-hmm. I recommend. If, if any kids ask oh, what book should I get? The player's handbook. It teaches you how to be a player and mm-hmm. uh, the resources you have available to you. So. I have some kids that will absolutely know that like the back of their hand so when I say alright guys time to level up they just do it. Mm-hmm. Whereas there's some groups that uh, I say "Oh, guys time to level up and then I have to get the book myself and we take the next 30 minutes leveling their characters up because they just they're kind of along for the ride which is fine and that's mm-hmm. great. Uh, some groups are leading the way on these campaigns and what that means is uh, I have a group, two groups right now that are kind of at the same place that are playing a new campaign that I'm writing as we go. Mm. So the things they're doing, the choice they're making kind of shape the world a lot more. And they, I have a lot more work to do for those groups. Those are the groups I have to come home and spend an hour or two like, taking notes of, okay, this is the city they're going to next. Here's the names of some of the people in the city they could meet. Uh, here's a place I expect a fight to happen. I have to draw a map for them to kind of go on so that when the fight comes up, they're not just like imagining it. They actually have a board to look at with mm-hmm. miniatures. Uh, here's what's going to happen here. Here's a magic item they might find and what it does. So I have to do a lot more like actual building of the world. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of work that goes into that. But I don't have to do that for all nine of my groups. I have to do that for one or two of my groups because the other seven are kind of behind. There's always going to be little things that change. There's always going to be, oh, this group's going here instead. I have to draw a map really quickly. Or, oh, mm-hmm. this group is met this person and they have this new thing because of that. And little things. But that can usually be done in like five, ten minutes between the weeks of, okay, cool. Uh this group has this change, and then they have these maps from the other group. And I have a pie, a table laid out down in my dungeon, in <laughs> my basement. Um,
1: <laughs> what where else happens down there?
0: John? T- mostly just games and laundry. <laughs> um, but there's uh, and each there's a stack, uh, like divided stacks on these tables of these are the maps and character sheets for this group, and mm-hmm. this group, and this group. And I go down and I go, okay, okay, this group's here, and I have notes on my computer of like this is where this group's at, and I go, okay, and I move these maps over here and I move these notes over here and that group's done so most of the groups I can be ready like I finish with them and then on the one day I have for set aside for like prepping for the week to come I go okay cool in five ten minutes I can have six out of the nine groups set to go and then I sit down and actually do the work that needs to be done for pioneering with these last few that are doing something truly new or truly different Mm -hmm. um And it always feels different to them, but I've done it so many times in a lot of these cases with a lot of these worlds that I know it like the back of my hand. Mm -hmm. There are some groups I won't even print out notes for anymore, not because I don't care, just because I don't need to. And it almost comes across as more professional and more... uh, like, it, it fun that way, if they go, hey, uh, I want to go to uh, an armory, I want to go, go buy a new sword, and instead of saying, okay, one second, how much does a sword cost, uh, okay, and this guy, I go, all right, well, there's a place in town called Ormundo's Anvil, and you can mm-hmm. go there, and there's a big Goliath man who's kind of there running, because I know, I've done it so many times that I know who's populating this world that they're, the kids playing through are kind of reinforcing the worlds that I've created mm-hmm. as they do it.
1: And that, would, that keeps them in the world. So if you have to pull out yourself, you're pulling everybody out. Yes. Right? And so for these nine campaigns, is it all the same world? Is that-
0: I have two okay. right now. The, the world is the same in both, but it's two like predominant storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, the first campaign I ever kind of created, which I ran for my Monday group, my mm-hmm. adult group... Um, it has now been completed. That's a full story from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. It's a massive, sprawling story about destroying a great evil that needs that's gonna come back and ruin the world. And some of my groups have finished that. Mm-hmm. And That's about, on average, two years of time. Wow. Uh, so I've had groups that started that, like my first ever group that started that, finished that probably about seven or eight months ago, mm-hmm. and they started try so to start a new one for them. It's, it's the same world, but it's a different story in that world.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's like quests, there's things that they have to specifically do. Yes. And it's going to change depending on how many people are in the group, mm-hmm. what sorts of characters there are, what decisions do they make.
0: Absolutely. Okay. I have one group that just went on, they've been on a side quest, like a quest that isn't part of the main quest line for probably about four or five months now. Mm-hmm. Um, and because they just keep digging new <laughs> things like, ooh, what's over here, what's over here?
1: <laughs> so they're not actually furthering the campaign, they're just having a good time? But in a way they
0: are because mm-hmm. they're furthering their characters and mm-hmm. that is furthering the campaign. And what I do is I sort of modify. So if... The purpose of this, like the purpose of these campaigns is still to tell a story from beginning to end. And if you tell a story in a different way, the story is still being told. Mm-hmm. So I find ways to incorporate these like side adventures into the main thing or or shorten parts of the main adventure which would evoke similar emotions or similar experiences that the side adventure already gave them. Mm-hmm. So. For instance, this side adventure had like three big climactic boss fights. So the next adventure they go on, I'm going to take some of those boss fights out because you don't need them anymore. They, mm-hmm. They've experienced that. They aren't there to fight enemy after enemy after enemy and just like keep beating bad guys into the ground. They're there to experience a story. So you kind of make changes as you go. That's one of the things I was talking about. They're playing through the same story, but the next section of the story is going to be very different for them because of the choices they've made that lead up to that moment.
1: So I, I love that too because I think sometimes when we look at you know popular television or, or movies it's all about like this grand saving the world or like fighting the baddie every week. But one of the things that really stuck out to me when I... So explain for, just for a quick second, what is Monster of the Week versus Dungeons & Dragons?
0: So Dungeons & Dragons is a very popular, probably the most well-known tabletop RPG. Mm-hmm. Uh, even people who don't know tabletops have at least heard of Dungeons and & Dragons. And... It's a D20 system. There's seven different types of dice you use, all with different numbers of sides. Uh, it's all very crazy and there's a lot to keep track of. But at the same rate, at the, with the same chaos that brings, it's very easy for new players to get into it. The current system they have, the version of D&D they have, is very uh, welcoming for new players. It's very easy to pick up a rule book in, and in a few days or less be ready to display. play. Mm-hmm. Monster of the Week is part of a different system called Power by the Apocalypse. And it's a rapidly growing, it's a very popular system. Even to this day, I still run that uh, system with my friends. And it's uh, with a 2D6 system. So the only dice anyone ever needs are two regular six-sided dice. And that's it. And it's much more of a collaborative storytelling thing. It's much more about the role-playing that goes into it. And every decision you make has a lot more, uh, it's a lot more impactful. Um, so in Monster of the Week, the premise is it's, goes off the name that that genre is from monster of the week like Mm -hmm. a TV show like Buffy the Vampire Slayer where you're going to fight a new monster every week and solve a mystery fight a monster and move on
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, but just like those shows the game usually evolves into a lot more than that and it evolves into these connecting storylines that all tie together uh, and kind of the characters and relationships that you build throughout
1: so I shadowed a monster of the week and then a session of D and D. When did you start your monster of the week? Because you do that weekly on Monday nights, right?
0: I started that. Yes, I still do that to this day. Um, I did. I had a <laughs> I had a five a.m. Uh, flight to catch to get here, mm-hmm. and that was on Tuesday morning. Mm-hmm. And we still play monster of the week until midnight. Right. The, we we don't stop. Right. Um, when did we start that? It must have been year, year and a half ago by now, I think. Uh, It was sometime in the middle of my weekly D&D sessions. We started just tacking it on to the end of Monday Night Mm D&D.
1: So there was a couple of things that stuck out to me in the session that I shadowed. but there. So when we talk about it's not just fighting a monster every mm-hmm. time, even though that's part of it. But there's character growth and development. Yes. So sometimes there's like a long lost father that pops up or like mm-hmm. an item that has value. Mm-hmm. How do you build that into the fabric of your world and your groups? And how do you pick some of those moments? In D&D? Yes.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes it comes up in their backstories and mm-hmm. usually I prefer that I try to make that as much as possible when mm-hmm. it comes up in their backstories um, and this is always easier for the groups that are pioneering the way mm-hmm. um, not the ones that are kind of following along but I always find a way to make it work even for those ones because they still deserve the same kind of love and care and experience that everyone else is getting um, so if they let's say I have an enemy that they're going to meet mm-hmm. that I know they're going to meet somewhere in the line mm-hmm. um, a great example is this. Uh, I don't think my most of my kids are probably not going to watch this, so I'm going to give some spoilers.
1: Oh. <laughs> if you're
0: one of my kids who are playing my campaigns, skip ahead like five minutes. Stop watching now. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. um, one of the characters I use, uh, his name is Luther. Mm-hmm. And he is a pirate, like pirate captain, pirate king guy. And he's very dangerous. Uh, and he's a little gnome, but he's very dangerous and very mm-hmm. scary. And I build him up for a lot. Like, I kind of tease him early on. And then, because they meet, like, some of his crew. And Wait, then what
1: makes him scary, though, if he's little?
0: Uh, both his martial prowess, like, he's a very good fighter, mm-hmm. and his uh, his kind of conniving, cunning, commanding spirit. Mm-hmm. We get the idea that he's been a pirate for a very long time, and he very much clawed his way to the top of his mm-hmm. pirate crew. So he's a captain of a fleet of pirate ships, and he has tons of people under his command who rule because... who. That work for him because they're terrified of him. Mm-hmm. So they meet all these characters who are terrified of this guy, and so when they finally meet him, he's very scary in person, both because he has all these people working for him, but also because you see why. You see, mm-hmm. like he has this like magical like arm piece that like gives him all sorts of special powers, which I promise I came up with before I saw Infinity War. <laughs> um, and he has—he's uh, a rogue, so he's very sneaky. And he can, in a, in a, from a combat standpoint, he can like deal a lot of damage very quickly. Mm-hmm. He's very hard to hurt. He can like turn invisible with the with just like a thought and things like that. He's a very powerful, very scary man. And I think what makes him the scariest is his complete cold, unfeeling tendency. There's nothing you can like use as leverage. There's no way of, like, aha, we have this thing that you want. He actually has a daughter who shows up and they usually meet her first and some people groups get the idea to use her as leverage and she goes you don't understand that won't work he doesn't care about me mm-hmm. uh, he's very cold and unfeeling, which mm-hmm. makes him very inhuman and monstrous which i really like about him mm-hmm. but this this captain was created for my first ever group before i was playing professionally there's someone someone gave me this guy as a backstory and she didn't know much about him she just knew that her father was a pirate and that he was out there somewhere but When she gave me the backstory, it was like 50 years before the campaign started because no one's left for a very long time. And I'm like, well, if he's been a pirate 50 years, he's got to be powerful by now. And so I built him from there. But that was their story. I like this character and the mechanic he serves in this game, but I change how he gets there or what his purpose is based on the story. I had another character, another one of my players who had... Um, an evil kind of parent in their past and I said well that can just be this so I sort of twisted the, the race around a little bit to make it fit that and I kind of changed around so I it still I personalized it for them it's the same character with the same mechanics mm-hmm. but it is now literally related to the backstory of another character I have another player who they <laughs> they love D and D and they learned about it through me, but they fell in love with it and they now they make like character after character after character. And they like, can I play this character now? So we find ways for like the old character to leave and the new one to come in. Mm-hmm. So I found a way to do that. Like the first character he ever made he, he's like, I want to switch characters. So I said okay, but once you do, what happens to the character's in my control, like the previous character? And so I, like, I had someone, he was like a, a, a king of some old kingdom, which I let him do, because why not? <laughs> so I had a servant come from this kingdom and be like, hey, your majesty, your kingdom is in danger and needs you. And so he went off and did his own thing. So when he asked later to switch back to the original character, he said, okay, sure, but here's the problem. Your kingdom is like in trouble and you couldn't fix it. So I had this whole side quest that they are still on right now, um, of them needing to go and f- kind of dethrone the evil king that has taken over his kingdom. Oh. And it's a, literally a personalized quest. And I've used the template before. I've used mm-hmm. the city that they're in. Yeah. I've used some of the, like the encounters. But it's literally his kingdom that they have to liberate. So the stakes are very high because it's his character and his character's family. Mm-hmm. So I like doing that kind of thing wherever I can.
1: So there's also this emotional cost, too. Yes. Do do the kids get emotional about some of these kinds of things? Okay. (laughs) Not all
0: of them. Okay. Some kids are just in it for the thrill of they can do whatever they want. And some Mm -hmm. kids are like, ooh, I can can, uh, attack this person and there's no real life consequences. uh, And they just do it. And a lot of those kids learn as they go that... They lose the ability to do the things they want to do in the game when they do that because of the consequences in the game. And that's how they kind of learn and grow, which is one of my favorite parts about it, is seeing the in game consequences for their actions. Mm-hmm. But there are some kids that get very attached to their characters and their stories and the emotions of it. Uh, I say with pride that I've made many kids cry uh, during these games um, just because they do get so attached. So they'll, even sometimes in like, non-emotional section they'll be in the middle of a fight and their character will be like very close to death and i've had kids kind of be like get really scared for their character because they've grown Mm -hmm. so very attached to it or very attached to another character that i've created um there's one of my groups that they love role-playing a lot more than combat uh and we try to kind of cut combat short when we can to make Mm -hmm. it work for them and uh there was one point in time where they needed to hire someone who because no one in their group could Cast a spell they needed to cast. So they wanted to hire a cleric who could cast that spell. So I threw in this NPC, the non player character, to kind of join them and they fell in love with this character mm-hmm. his name is David and he's kind of a sweet innocent naive kind of character and they fell in love with him so they hired him to come with them yeah, so yeah. he's still traveling with him to this day he's died four times and they keep bringing him resurrecting him yeah. it gets harder to do every time one time it's not going to work and they yeah. know this so they're trying to be more careful because death yeah. does have weight yeah. but at their level because they're very high level and very yeah. powerful it has a little less weight okay. um, but there have been points in time where one of their, their characters will like actually dying like ah oh, man whatever oh well and then David will like get like scratched like someone will like hit David a little bit and then like David no um, and they, they they become very attached to some of these characters and some parts of this world that I've created it's, uh, it's really interesting to see how that happens but they do get very emotionally invested yeah uh-huh.
1: so do you have do you have any because I know you were also in the Young Americans, mm-hmm. which is, do you want to explain that briefly? Uh,
0: yes. The Young Americans was a uh, touring company that it was a college and a touring group. We mm-hmm. went around the world doing music outreach, teaching kids to sing and dance, which wasn't about finding the best singers and dancers. It was about getting kids to step out of their shell, mm-hmm. step out of their comfort zone and try new things. Uh, and I did that for five years and it was a lot of fun.
1: So, and it, it kind of brought some things from Young Americans. You brought some things from your theater background. Absolutely. You've worked a lot with kids. What are some of the things? the tools in your your kit so to speak on how to wrangle children because it's not it's not easy doing that um,
0: it really depends on the children <laughs> and there's no concrete way that works for every group
1: mm-hmm.
0: some groups respond very well to just firm, like guys come on uh, and they respond to that and they're like alright guys let's let's lock it in um, some groups respond very well to they'll, they'll notice the silence so some groups are able to sit and go I'll wait and I'll even say sometimes if they don't know so like, I'll wait and then that'll in seconds they'll just be they realize they're not going. Mm-hmm. Um, some groups, uh, especially the younger kids, I find it works if you call attention to how disruptive they're being. They get very bashful about it and kind of rope it in. If someone's like whispering a joke to their friend, I'm like, "Oh, what are you talking about? Uh, do you want to share the joke with the table? Uh, one group, I actually, they kept, it kept happening. So I actually said, All right, no, I'm not continuing the game until you share with the table what you were saying. And then he did. And uh, everyone laughed because it was a silly, it was really stupid, I don't remember what it was. It was a very silly, stupid joke. But then he was attentive the rest of the time because he knew what <laughs> I was. He got embarrassed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that works for some people and some doesn't. And some groups you have to get very real with. And you have to be like, guys, I know you're having a lot of fun and we're here to have fun. But what you're doing right now is taking away from other people's uh, like, fun. We're trying to play D&D. And I don't mind. It doesn't bother me. But we're getting less time to play. And I think everyone would rather just play D&D right now. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on what you, you read the room. Because certain kids are going to respond to different things. Um, I've very seldom had to actually send a kid to, like, go talk to your parents kind of a thing. Um, I think it's happened once or twice in my whole two years of doing this.
1: Because the parents are usually in the house.
0: No. Their, Which oh. is maybe a reason okay. I don't get to do this. Uh, but uh, a lot of the time, parents are not in the house. Or maybe just, like, the one parent who, like, is hosting. But even they will sometimes just, like, hey, I'm going to go do errands. Because they trust mm-hmm. me at this point. Mm-hmm. So I, they will leave me alone in the house with their kids and... That's just fine.
1: Yeah. You have nine campaigns. How many children are usually in each?
0: Um, it ranges between two and six. Okay. Uh, I would say four is literally the average. I usually have groups of four. But I, let's see. I think there's this guy. one group of two, which I, I won't do anymore. That was my first ever group. Mm-hmm. If ever anyone asks start up. I now have a minimum price. And it's $20 per kid. And my minimum price is 60 Okay. So I won't do less than three unless they're willing to pay $30 per kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, I just don't think it's as good an experience to do with two kids. It's much more about the social aspect. So I mm-hmm. think the more the merrier. Um,
1: and it sounds like a good campaign is four.
0: Four, I mean, is, four really is the mm-hmm. ideal size because it gives everyone... It doesn't take away from anyone's screen time. Everyone like it's plenty of time to interact and play. Um, but there's not never so much pressure on one person that they have to carry the whole group mm-hmm. with a group of six it can get a bit wild trying to get everyone uh, saying what's going on and with a group of two it can be a lot of time to focus on one specific kid mm-hmm. um three and five are pretty okay usually i can get by on that But i don't think i have any groups of three except my college kids and they're fine mm-hmm. um and a group of five is usually that's still manageable um i have a group of five which does very well actually but uh, I think I think actually with group with what I do I think five is ideal because if one of the kids is sick you can still play with a group of four if one or two of the kids are missing you just kind of have to cut, cancel you know mm-hmm. um, whereas the kids would rather never do that
1: yeah. yeah they love it so much
0: I've I've very seldom had groups that are okay like holidays will come and they'll be like can we still play the holiday <laughs>
1: Um, the last thing I wanted to follow up with sure. from last time was you you had Wildest Fantasy coming up at the New Jersey yes. Film Festival.
0: That was incredible.
1: Genre bending action adventure that was difficult to describe. Yes. So what happened with Wildest Fantasy?
0: Uh it happened. It was um It was a great piece. The people at the Fringe really loved it. Um, I realized, because that was our third year at the New Jersey Fringe Festival, and I realized we kind of had a reputation at that point. Um, Mm. People did know our company by name. Mm. And uh, we even had people saying, like, oh, you guys get better every year. And, Ah. like, that was really cool for me. Yeah. And I immediately got in my head about like, well, what am I going to do next year? Because mm. like, Wildest Fantasy, it went really well. It was mm. a lot of fun. It felt very professional. It felt very well put together by the time we actually went up uh, in spite of a lot of really difficult bumps in the road, which really threw us for a loop. We, um, I mentioned we had a staff of nine people. Mm. We did not have a staff of nine people by the time we produced it because mm. uh, we had a few issues. Uh, one of which was our props manager, the person. We, we actually had a, like a budget. We said, all right, how much money do you need to make all these props and make this kind of stuff? And they said $100. So we gave them $100. And when we went to pick up the props like four or five days before the show, when it was way later than he was supposed to have them done, but not only did he not have all of them done, he had forgot like we had a list of like here are the big ones and here are the little ones. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll have the little ones done. None of the little ones were done. He didn't just didn't bother doing that, hmm. uh, and most, if not all, of the big like inter like unique props he had made were bad. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't good at all. Um, so my it was up to my sister and I, my stage manager and I, uh, to in the two days before we opened pretty much do all the prop work like that. And let me tell you, we did a bang-up job. You would never guess it was that last minute. Mm-hmm. The, the pride and joy of the one that we did was there's a feather duster that has to turn into a spear. Mm-hmm. And, but it has to, you have to believe for the whole show it's just a feather duster. So there's a maid character who's like, you know, dusting up and cleaning up. And then she gets this mo- like, dramatic fantasy monologue and pulls a spear out of this feather duster, and it was incredible. Mm-hmm. It, we made you believe it was feather duster, and it telescopes up into a full spear, and it was amazing. Um, so we put it together. It went really well. And uh, that led right into the next big project, which we started working on, or I started working on almost immediately to get ready for the next year.
1: Mm-hmm. All right, very cool. So, swinging right back around to D and D, did you? There was a fun story you told me recently because you're collecting testimonials now yes. from your campaigns. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell the shoe story?
0: Okay, yes, I can tell the shoe story. And I actually want to tell one more, which is something that three of the kids all shared. So in these testimonial interviews, I'm asking, one of the questions they ask is, do you have a fun or crazy story you want to share with the group? Mm -hmm. Um, And one of them I got was two of the kids both shared this story. Uh, It was not like, oh, we fought this big giant enemy or anything like that. It was. we were. The story kind of escalates the, the farther he got into the sentence. He goes, um, "Yeah, so I used this magical glue which can't be broken to glue someone's boot to the ground in a cave in another dimension, and it's still there today, <laughs> which is true." He's
1: like so proud of he that. He was like, so true proud of is that. Still there. But to this what he day. didn't
0: mention in that story is the the boot he glued down was not a character I created. That was one of the other players.
1: So that other player is that just w- that player's w- walking around with just one shoe? No, he got he found another boot. He found I think. another boot, um,
0: but he did. It, and they had to roll against each other because mm-hmm. he there's a stealth check which you make to sneak and a perception check which you make to see. So he rolled against the other guy, which I usually discourage, but I thought it was pretty funny this time. They weren't like trying to kill each other, so I was mm-hmm. to let it happen. And he beat his stealth the perception check with his stealth and he snuck in. So then when the other guy came to tell the story, he goes, "Yeah, there was the time when I was walking along in a cave and my friend rolled a natural twenty, which is the best thing you can roll at this." Mm-hmm. Sne- sneak up behind me and glue my boot to the ground. Uh, So they both kind of told that story. But the other story that three of the kids told was this beautiful work of creativity where they were kind of in a snowstorm going down into a town and they saw this snow monster lumbering around in this town. And they needed to get to the town through the heavy snow and it was down a hill. And one of the guys has a spell called create or destroy water which lets you create, uh, just suddenly create like 30 gallons of water out of thin Mm -hmm. air. And he's like, can I, like, use that and make, like, an ice sled out of the snow? And I'm like, yeah, you can. That's, Mm -hmm. I thought it was a really cool idea. Mm -hmm. So they created this ice sled and they sledded down into this town and rammed this ice sled into the monster with, like, all their powerful, most powerful spells and attacks they could. And what I had is one massive encounter, like, his big fight or, like, even a stealth mission to, like, sneak around this big snow monster. I changed entirely on the fly because the creativity these kids used to overcome this problem was so much more incredible than uh, any anything else that I could have thought of, and they all loved it. They were like thrilled. Like that day, I still remember them like cheering and like jumping up and down and like th- telling their parents that day. Mm-hmm. So, more than a year later. When I've now asked them, like, what's a cool story you remember, three of them related that story unprompted without talking to each other because that's still stuck in their minds as one of their favorite moments. And it was nothing I did. All I did was set a scene for them and they found a cool solve for it that they all still love to this day.
1: That's awesome. And you just mentioned a natural twenty, which is the yes. highest, you know, possible role. Mm-hmm. So you also started I know you kind of it's been touch and go, but it's on a hiatus, right? Yeah, now, yes. hiatus. But you did start your own podcast called yes. Natural Nineteen. That is correct. Because
0: Because it is a and D podcast that is almost perfect but not quite. <laughs> um, yes. Natural 19. So the reason it's called a natural 20 is because there's certain things that will happen when you roll it to like modify the roll. Mm -hmm. If a character is really good at sneaking, they make it like a plus 7. So you could roll a a 13, which would give you a 20, but it's not a natural 20. A natural 20 is when the 20 appears on the die, and the reason it's so good is because it's called a critical success or a critical hit, which means no matter what, for the most part, no matter what your modifiers are... if you roll a twenty, it works. Mm-hmm. That is considered to be the best thing you can get, uh, and it's a very—it's always a moment of excitement when a player rolls a twenty, especially because it doesn't happen very often. It's not like rolling a six on a regular die that can happen a lot, but right.
1: because it's a—it's a twenty-sided it's a die yes. that you use. Okay. I should have brought one. in. I,
0: really? I have them in the car. Oh,
1: I love. It. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Fine.
0: Uh, so I did, I think I've done 11 episodes of the podcast where I try to bring other people on to kind of talk about D&D yeah. and we pick a different D&D topic and it was a lot of fun but as you know,
1: as podcasts know. are
0: time consuming, they're a lot of work yeah. uh, and when I do it, I want to be able to do it right. But that is something I'm hoping to get back into, leaving choppers behind with, that frees up my weekends entirely. So I don't mm-hmm. have any consistent groups on the weekends, so my Saturdays and Sundays are open and I plan on dedicating some time every weekend to other D&D related stuff that aren't my groups, Mm -hmm. so maybe that'll be one of them.
1: Yeah, that'll be really cool. Mm -hmm. Well, Joshua, (laughs) do you have any advice for someone who maybe they really just got excited about this whole idea of becoming a professional dungeon master, doing their own thing. How would would you encourage that? Uh, I know the
0: last time I said, just do it. Um,
1: (laughs) Very original. But I
0: think in this case, uh, for this specifically, Mm. uh, or any creative uh, endeavor, but when we're talking about D&D, is know your audience, Mm. uh, I think is really important advice. Because I could never have done this if I tried to break into the scene of just playing with only adults. Mm-hmm. And I still don't do that yet, but I would love to be there one day where I have enough interest that I can play with enough adult groups to get me by as well. Mm-hmm. I would love for my protégés, my little dungeon masterlings, to be running kid games and myself to run adult ones because that's, again, I like playing d and D. I'm not a babysitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was knowing where to talk to, where to reach out to that kind of got me involved in in this. It was knowing that... or I guess, luck happening upon the fact that homeschool groups are a great choice for this because homeschool parents are often looking for alternative uh, sort of outlets for their kids and D&D is a beautiful way to do that.
1: Plus, one of the top questions that homeschool kids get, which you and I both know, Mm -hmm. is, well, how do you get socialized? Yes. (laughs) How do you you socialize?
0: Um, And especially in this age, but I think kids are a great way to break into, like, break into this scene because parents are looking for ways to get their kids to socialize and get Mm. them away from screens, Mm -hmm. phones and tablets and computers, and saying, hey, I want to play a game, I'm going to run a game for your kids, which is going to work on creativity, Mm -hmm. problem solving, social skills, and it involves no electronics. That's, That's usually a selling point.
1: Plus confidence. So a big thing about the arts in general and being creative is that you get this—you get the confidence to make decisions out loud in front of other people. Absolutely. And I think w- w- sometimes people struggle with public speaking or any of that because you haven't had a format to do it. It feels mm-hmm. foreign. So this provides that as well. Yes. You get to project a decision and other people support it, and you mm-hmm. realize, oh, it's not so scary. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. it's really cool. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, cool. no, knowing your audience and not being afraid to reach out. That confidence works in both ways because you need to be able to just say, all right, we're just gonna do this. Mm-hmm. We're just gonna try it.
1: Yeah. Give it a shot. Yeah. What could go wrong? I mean plenty of things to go yeah. wrong. But
0: <laughs> plenty of things to go right too.
1: Absolutely. Well, Josh, that was uh the last of my questions. Was there anything else you wanted to add?
0: Uh, I think we, we covered a lot of it. I feel like I talked a lot. You like, did. It's
1: yeah okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's why it's a podcast. I remember the channel. last time, I think,
0: I think last time was what, like a 35 minute episode or something? Yeah. I feel like we've already like way exceeded that. Oh, um,
1: maybe.
0: But uh, okay. yeah. Um, if you want to play DD, hit me up.
1: Because you, even if you're not in the Southern New Jersey area, mm-hmm. you still offer Skype.
0: I can do Skype. I will also, I can also do, I haven't done this yet, but that's something I've been meaning to try to get into is do teaching sessions where I actually educate mm-hmm. others on how to be dungeon masters. Oh, cool. Just a quick like, two hour power cramming session of how to, how to DM, how to start running a game and then just go. Because mm-hmm. really D&D is, and all tabletops aren't that complicated. There's yeah. always more if you're looking. Mm-hmm. D&D has roughly like, I think probably about a dozen published books that are all like huge, mm-hmm. full of information that you just don't need. Yeah. And it's great resource material if you want it. I recommend it highly for people who need that, who would like that kind of thing and want to expand their knowledge. But to start playing D&D, you can do that in an afternoon. Oh, very cool. So I'd be happy to teach anyone who wants to know and answer any questions, so hit me up there. Uh and give it a shot. Even if it's not through me, try some tabletop role playing. I think I think it's good for everyone. I think anyone can enjoy it if they, if they if they're open to it.
1: Absolutely. Where can the people find you?
0: Uh so if you want to find me, I have a website. It's dndforhire.com. That's d the letter n d cuz I don't think you can put in and symbol in a web address. Mm-hmm. Um, so dndforhire.com. Uh, I also have a Facebook page, which is d and symbol d for hire, which is my actual uh, thing. So Facebook slash dndforhire. Uh, and other than that, I have, you can email me at dndforhire at gmail.com. Uh, and those are kind of the main ways to reach me. I think I'm best about my Facebook page. I'm really, really responsive on that. So that'd be that'd be a good way to reach me. And I have a contact form on the website. Uh, and if you're looking for theater stuff in the South Jersey area, look up Aftershock Entertainment. I th- Yeah, I think I pretty much covered it.
1: And you're going to be in a show that's not part of Aftershock. Yes,
0: uh, but if you were looking for some uh, festivities, some late Christmas festivities, I am currently playing Daddy Warbucks in Annie uh, at the Downstage Dinner Theater in Cherry Hill. Uh, so that'll be the, like the second to last weekend in January if you want to look that up uh, and come see me sing and also get some good food.
1: And maybe cry a little bit.
0: And maybe cry. I'm yeah. going to cry. You might not cry. You probably, <laughs> Annie's not really a crying show for people watching it, I don't think, but I'm probably going to cry as Daddy Warbucks. <laughs> I get emotional just reading the scripts at <laughs> uh-huh.
1: Well, anything else? I think that covers it. Awesome. Well, this has been Sustaining Craft with your host, Elizabeth Silverstein, my special guest today, Joshua Kurtz. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for being on again. Um, and the music is courtesy of Jim Chiago. Catch Jim on iTunes and Sp- Spotify as 7 Second Chance. Also playing around Denver, Colorado as Nomad Neighbors. And I messed that up the last episode. And I think I just called him. Thank Nomad goodness he,
0: his music is here instead of mine. Because, <laughs> oh
1: so Jim is professional musician. Joshua is not. Uh, <laughs> that doesn't mean it was bad. It was just, as we're listening, because your episode was the second one I ever did. Mm. So we had, we had a learning curve as, you know, moving to YouTube along with the, um, the podcast audio mm. is also a learning curve because my first episode was a little, little rough, but it, I think it still turned out pretty good. Well, thank you so much, Joshua.
0: Thank you, Liz.